Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, we are going to invite you um, to remember that which we all promised we would never forget and to remember it in ways that are significant and faithful. So this is hour two of Mornings with Carmen on September the 10th, 2021, and we're going to review a couple of small portions from a message that Billy Graham delivered. He was invited by then-President George W. Bush to offer words of hope and comfort to a shocked nation. Um, And actually, the entirety of his address is going to be rebroadcast here on the Faith Radio Network at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. tomorrow on September the 11th. So mark your calendars for that. Tune in at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. Central Time tomorrow on September the 11th for this special 26-minute program featuring the entire message that Billy Graham delivered at the Washington National Cathedral in 2011. Um, Today, we are going to just pull up a couple of uh, minutes of it. And here's the underlying text from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea. Here's a little bit from Billy Graham. Thank you, Mr. President, for calling this day of prayer and remembrance. We needed it at this time. We come together today to reaffirm our conviction that God cares for us. Whatever our ethnic, religious, or political background may be, the Bible says that he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. No matter how hard we try, words simply cannot express the horror, the shock, and the revulsion we all feel over what took place in this nation on Tuesday morning. September 11 will go down in our history as a day to remember. A day to remember. So what does it look like for you and I to remember those things that we promise to never forget? The Bible has a lot to say about remembering. And so here are a few things that we want everybody to remember about that day. None of us will ever forget the pictures of our courageous firefighters and police, many of whom have lost friends and colleagues, or the hundreds of people attending or standing patiently in line to donate blood. A tragedy like this could have torn our country apart, but instead it has united us and we've become a family. So those perpetrators who took this on to tear us apart, it has worked the other way. It's backlash. It's backfired. We are more united than ever before. 
I think this was exemplified in a very moving way when the members of our Congress stood shoulder to shoulder the other day and sang, God bless America. When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not. When we come out of the break, we're going to talk with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In about some 9-11 movies that we might be watching to stimulate our memories and our conversations of this day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining us again today on this Friday, September the 10th, is Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. You can check out what Adam is working on and others at PluggedIn.com. Adam, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So the question that I'm kind of leading off with uh, everybody is, you know, where were you when? So take us back to 9-11-2001 in your life. Well, it was a surreal day for all of us, but it was a particularly surreal day for me I had been on a motorcycle trip with a friend, and we had gone up to, um, well, we were in Wyoming, and he was headed to Seattle, and I was coming back. We had just gone to Yellowstone, and I had overnighted at the Econo Lodge in Casper, Wyoming, and we'd had, well, it. <laughs> I was pretty tired, so I slept in that day, and I came down about, I think, around 10 o'clock, and the TV was on. <laughs> in the lobby of the hotel and everybody was standing around watching it. And I remember the headline was, you know, the twin towers have fallen. And I remember my brain, I literally thought, well, that can't be right. Like I, I didn't have a category for what, what that headline was saying. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, watching the coverage for a while and packing up and checking out of the hotel to ride back down to Colorado Springs. And it was about, an eight hour motorcycle ride from there. And it felt like I was in a movie because every time I would stop for gas, you would hear rumors, you know, it's like, well, they've closed the interstate and Denver is closed. I remember going through Cheyenne and there's a, there's an air force base in Cheyenne and right in front of the base, there were all these soldiers lined up, you know, with guns. And it was a very, very strange day, but I think for anybody who was traveling that day, there was a special kind of weirdness. And, and I was by myself, too, so I wasn't processing it with anybody. Uh, but just that sense that, man, the world has changed and it will never be the same again. And in, indeed, in some, some really significant ways, it, it never has been the same, Carmen. Yeah, you've reminded me that, um, you know, I, I do have a friend who was in the air at the time. And those people who were on airplanes and those people who were, you know, on interstates, like it was a different experience for people who were traveling. The world changed dramatically, you know, after the fact in terms of how we travel and what we do when we travel and what's required of us. But for those who were particularly in the air at the time or overseas at the time, man, it was um, it was a special kind of weirdness is a good way to put it. 
Um, let's talk about another thing about 9-11 that was so different and actually I think has dramatically influenced how we experience media since then. You know, in the days of Pearl Harbor, it's not like anybody knew what was happening in real time. It was reported on the radio hours later. There were no visuals for a very, you know, for a fairly long period of time. Um, From a media standpoint, 9-11 was something we all experienced in real time. We watched it in real time. At 20, fast forward 20 years in the days of social media, the whole thing would be dramatically different yet again because we would have thousands of people sort of eye reporting in real time. Um, Just talk about that from a media perspective. Well, I think from a media perspective, the the first thing I would say and probably how, well, I'm going to make the assumption that many of us probably processed it this way. It felt like a movie in that Mm -hmm. we were watching it on a screen and it was so outside the realm of anything that anyone would have thought possible that the almost the only category you would have would be, oh, this is like some crazy terrorism thriller. And in fact, uh, in the late 90s, Tom Clancy wrote a book called Debt of Honor, which was about terrorists and terrorists crash a plane into the Capitol and kill almost the entire government. And I remember when I read it, how fanciful that seemed. I'm like, well, that would never happen. And then just a couple of years later, uh, it didn't. they didn't kill all the politicians. But obviously, there was an attempt that if they would have been completely successful, the carnage would have been even worse. And so it, you're trying to process the surreality of these images. And, and you're removed from it. You know, you're watching it. And then, you know there's an unreality to it. And then that was amplified by, you know, they replayed it over and over and over and over again. Um, And so there was no way, even if like, I didn't see it happen in real time, but certainly it was not long before I saw the replayed version of what happened. And I don't know that we're set up to, to process. Well, I'm pretty sure we're not set up to process that kind of tragedy in real time, like watching Mm -hmm. it, there's just an unreality to it. And not surprisingly, studies have been done since then that show, uh, you know, a certain percentage, it's a small percentage, but a real one of especially children who watch that demonstrated, you know, symptoms consistent with post-traumatic stress disorder in the aftermath. Because what are you supposed to do with it? I, I have nowhere really to take this horror, uh, other than to join in grieving with the rest of the country. And I will say on the flip side, even listening to the clip you played from Billy Graham, it sort of feels like the last moment where there was anything approaching national unity in this country, you know? Um, and I feel like since then things have just continued to fragment and we don't need to go off on that tangent. But the result was a galvanizing kind of thing where Americans uh, were processing this loss together. Uh, And so there was a shared grief there that was unlike anything that I have ever experienced before or since. Had uh, flight, uh, United Flight 93, made it to its um, planned destination 
I think Tom Clancy's debt of honor would have been realized uh, even yep. in more significant ways. Um, we're going to talk about 9-11 movies, including United 93, when we come back. We're talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find him at PluggedIn.com. So my guess is uh, you are like Lori, who just texted in that she remembers a documentary hosted by Robert Nero, um, two French brothers following a cadet in the New York Fire Department. They really got to see what was happening from the fire for- fire's point of view, both fascinating and devastating. Adam, um, there have been a lot of movies uh, pulling different thread lines related to 9-11 what um what what sort of tops your list right now in terms of 911 movies well i felt like with both united 93 and world trade center which came out respectively about 10 years ago um they were movies that told the core of the story united 93 obviously is the famous um or infamous flight that todd beamer was on and todd beamer of course said let's roll and um, Steven Soderbergh did that one and it's a remarkable film and a sobering film, uh, about, um, just what may have happened. And obviously all of these are attempts to dramatize, uh, something that we can't actually know. And movies take license to tell those stories, right? I mean, they, they really try to, um, to help us see that. And actually it was, I said, Steven Soderbergh, it was actually Paul Greengrass, my bad on that. And so that one's powerful. And world trade center, um, is an Oliver Stone movie. And we get to watch Nick cage and another firefighter who are trapped in the wreckage beneath, uh, beneath one of the fallen towers. And it's another one like Nicholas cage movies fall into two categories either amazingly incredible or unwatchable. And this one is in the former category. I mean, it really, I felt like, did a a terrific job of telling that small story. So as filmmakers look at this event, they're looking at it from different perspectives. And just in the last two weeks, we've had two really interesting PG-13 movies come out that look at it perhaps from perspectives that you've never thought about before. Um, The first one of those is called Worth, Excuse me. And Worth is uh, stars Michael Keaton as an expert kind of lawyer actuary who evaluates for legal reasons what is the worth of a life. So if there's a lawsuit where they're trying to figure out the monetary damages for somebody who has been accidentally killed, and he comes across initially as cold, calculating, uh, not very human. And so in, in response to the question, what is a life worth? He initially says the answer is a number and that's the job. His name is Ken Feinberg. Well, the government comes to him because they're afraid there's going to be a class action lawsuit against airlines that could shut the airlines down completely. And they sort of proactively or preemptively employ him to try to figure out, well, what's the dollar figure on the victims in 9-11? And what this movie does is it asks the question, what is a life worth? And we watch as Ken Feinberg moves toward 
uh, away from that actuarial kind of perspective and toward embracing and understanding that life has dignity and value apart from a number. Um, I read one review that said this may be the best movie about 9-11 because of the dignity that it affords to the victims. Um, and uh, it's streaming on Netflix. And then the other one that I want to mention just came out is called Come From Away. It is actually a filmed version of a stage play, and it takes place in Gander, Newfoundland, which I'm guessing most of us have never been to. But for planes that were on the in the air in that area, they rerouted them to this airport in the town of Gander, Newfoundland. And of course, then they were grounded. And this is the story of all the people who ended up in this little town in Newfoundland and how the people there basically rolled out the red carpet to care for them. Uh, so it's another angle and perspective on a very specific 9-11 story that there's a good chance that you had never thought about it before, but uh, uh, another movie with a lot to recommend it in terms of how we see humanity at its best responding in a time of crisis. The hospitality of the people of Gander is absolutely worthy of consideration and, um, you know, and patterning our lives after as well. A great angle on, you know, what would you do to to welcome forcibly displaced people, people displaced by yep. terrorism, because that's exactly what happened. The um, the the theme of self-sacrifice in United 93, um, you know, I just want to highlight one more time. If you've never watched it, that's a movie worthy of your time and attention. There is an excellent uh, article about Todd Beamer in The Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, chronicling again uh, the events of Flight 93 and uh what happened on September 11th. And so just all kinds of opportunities um, today to consider and over this weekend consider what happened and how it changed us. And movies give us a way of sharing the uh, event with others who may not have experienced it themselves. So pretty much everybody oh. under 22, 23, 24 years of, old, uh, years of age. Um, Adam, we got to leave it right there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for joining us. You can find Adam at Focus on the Families Plugged In. That's PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right, who experienced 9-11 first in terms of an awareness that um, there were planes off course? Well, those would be air traffic controllers, and members of the military. And it would be fair to say that air traffic controllers did not see what was happening um, early enough or quickly enough to intervene or have the military intervene, um, which would lead us to an entirely different conversation about what might have happened if we had known. One of those air traffic controllers who was Sitting in front of one of those screens at the moment and watched the blips disappear was Robert Totman. He joins us next. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. Do you feel as if your best years have passed you by? Do you regret wasting seasons of life on foolish pursuits? So do I. But we can stop our laments. We have an eternity to make up for lost time. Colossians 3.1 is a great reminder to seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek heaven 
the way a sailor seeks the coast or a pilot seeks the landing strip. Colossians 3.2 says, think only about it. Other translations say, keep your mind on it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. In other words, obsess yourself with heaven. Open your eyes, Christ invites. Lift up your gaze. Don't limit your story to the days between your birth and death. You are made for more than this life. this uh, most unusual of days, a day that started out for all of us as if it were any other day, but then became a day like no other day and has since become the day that changed every other day. Joining us is Robert Totman. He is the author of Corridors in the Sky, and he was uh, not only present like the rest of us on 9-11, but present in a very unique way. Robert, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Tell us um, about the unique position you were in on September the 11th, 2001. Sure. I was uh, working as an air traffic controller at New York Center. That's an air traffic control facility that covers uh, a large portion of the Northeast, very congested, very busy. I went to work that morning. It was a normal morning. You know, I feel like I'm in control of everything, my life, and pretty much doing whatever I wanted. But Went into work that day. It, you know, as I guess ATC has a reputation for being complicated, and that's not a false reputation. It is complicated. Um, I think that's where multitasking came from. ATC. <laughs> um, it was not unusual to have a dozen or more aircraft on the frequency at one time, while listening to um, a speaker that accessed another dozen uh, ground facilities, air traffic control facilities, and. And then also have a person sitting to your left and a person sitting to your right, and you have to pay attention and keep track of all of it at the exact same time. For me, I, I don't know, I guess God created me to do it because it was I was like a fish in water with the ATC. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Honestly, looking back, I don't feel like I had to try very hard. Um, I graduated the training as Distinguished Honor Graduate. I certified as a professional um, in a fraction of the time of most people. And... Uh, None of that helped me on 9-11. As I sat mm-hmm. there feeling like I was in control, the military called and said, hey, can you confirm do we have a hijacked aircraft flying over Manhattan? And I actually smarted off to him. I don't know. You should watch CNN. Um, at the time, I had a, what's called an air traffic control, a primary target in that area, which means you can see there's something there, but you don't know if it's you know, a hang glider or a jet. There's just something in the air. You have no information on it. And uh, so, you know, I continued working air traffic and a few minutes later, they called me back. Hey, can you confirm that primary target has hit the World Trade Center? And Mm. all I could do is look at the scope and say, well, it was there and now it's not. Mm. And as the day unfolded, you know, I realized I remember the realization that America, we're under attack. This is an attack on America. And it's so even 20 years later, looking back, bizarre to me that um, as far as I know, I followed the book exactly. I did everything I was supposed to do, but there was no way to stop the attack. There was nothing I could do to to hinder even the bad guys from having their way. I'm wondering, um, as you reflect on that, and thank you. Um, thank you for sharing 
your experience of that day. I'm wondering, Robert, you know, as you have, as you processed it early on, and then as you have been able to process it over time, that seems like a statement of reality in the midst of a sinful world. Even if I follow the book exactly, there's nothing I can do to keep the bad guys from having their way. That's not a fatalistic, that's not a fatalistic statement. It is, it is a true statement about reality. Right. Since uh, 9-11, I learned that Jesus said, oh, there will be storms. (laughs) And depending on how you've built, that will determine how how your storm ends, you know. And another passage in the Bible says, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come. Don't be surprised. So, yeah, it's very powerful. I didn't plan to say that, but it is powerful, isn't it? I mean, even when I look around today, I think, wow, it seems like there's nothing we can do to stop the enemy. We know that God is worthy to be praised. And I guess the key there is the more you know him, the easier it is to praise him. And um, somehow it's all mystically related. I, I believe with all of my heart that every nation's security is directly related to its individual citizens' worship. What are they worshiping? Because that, dep- that um, creates, if you will, um, their security in a sense, mm. or lack thereof security. I'm mm. sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. What follows for you in terms of um, 9-11, 2001? It's been 20 years. I know that at some point after planes went back in the sky, air traffic controllers went back to their chairs. What followed for you? For me, it uh, began with nightmares. I had been working traffic for or air traffic for, I don't know, 10 years at that point, maybe a little more. Um, and had never had a nightmare, but on September 12th, I began having nightmares and then endured nightmares uh, constantly after that. But, you know, I went back to work. I was able to to do my job uh, up to standard. Um, I did turn to alcohol. I did turn to drugs. Um, I felt like I was experiencing death when I would go to sleep. Like many mm-hmm. times I would wake up having just escaped the clutches of death. And that happened over and over and over. And I guess I was trying to insulate or I don't know what. But, um, yeah, I did turn to drugs and alcohol. And uh, I had a a bad drug test, a random drug test in January of 2002. So just within a few months. And by June of 2002, I had been fired for failure to comply with drug testing procedures. That was a shocker because ATC was my everything, my my identity and and all of that. so I sat around rather suicidal for a couple of years, and when I, I sealed the deal with God, made a prayer, I'm done here. If there's anything you could do with me, please do. Um, I told him, I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I'm bad for all those around me. I'm a danger for my kids. I'm no fun for my wife. Um, the best thing would be just remove me from the equation. And as I recall, that was about, I think that was a Wednesday, and um, the following Sunday, I took my family to church like I had been doing on and off over the years. And as soon as I set foot in the sanctuary, I thought I smelled flowers. And I looked around, there were no flowers in the church. I asked my wife, do you smell that? She said, I don't smell anything. Everything changed for me that day. Even the dreams, that very night, the dreams changed. Um, I dreamt just in big, bold letters, James 117. And so I looked it up at two in the morning, James 117, and I was you know, awe began forming in my heart, awe for God and awe for his word. And I'd like to stay there the rest of my life in awe of God and his word. 
Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And I love verse 18 too. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. And for me at that time, I read that and thought, wow, he doesn't change. He was good when he gave me that good job. I screwed it all up and he's still good. He doesn't change for one. And for another, as we look around and see a dark and perverse generation, that specific one says he's the father of what? He's the father of lights. It comes things like in that passage is saying, you know, look up, the good things are coming down to you from above. Um, and he's the father of heavenly lights. And another passage says, you know, if you cling to the word of life, you'll shine like a star in the night sky. And so that began feeding me and, and we began becoming in awe of God and day by day, more and more awe and wonder. Uh, my, my wife surrendered to Jesus within a week or so and received him as her savior. Um, in 2005, I quit my job. It was a different job by then, a, a charity job. And um, it was with the Salvation Army. We sold our home, gave all our possessions away. Um, the proceeds from selling the home, gave it all away. We're counting on you, Lord. And we did not go from church to church asking money. We didn't go to people asking money. It was a very unique experience, I'm sure. And uh, about six months later, we learned, oh, wow, we're missionaries now. When someone told us, that's what you're doing. It's like you're a missionary. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And the Lord upheld us and supported us, carried along. I would get invited to churches to speak occasionally. We um, began tending to the homeless, to um, abused children, um, to people in maximum security prison, um, seeking the Lord day by day, making his word our comfort. And I've been through a trial even this week, and I just have to boast that the Lord is amazing. If we will seek him, he's there with his words to give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. Amen. Hey, we're talking with Robert Totman. He was an air traffic controller at New York Center on 9-11-2001. He is a redeemed brother in Christ, and we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Just Continuing our conversation now with Robert Totman. He is, among other things, author of Corridors in the Sky. A bit of his story related to his experience of 9-11-2001 um, and the way in which God has uh, shown up for him personally in praiseworthy ways uh, over the course of these now 20 years. Um, Robert, talk with us about why God is worthy of glory and praise. Yeah, well, for that, if you don't mind, um, the song of Moses has been echoing in my heart this week. And I think it's interesting because if I understand correctly, that's um, a passage of scripture that's honored by the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, um, and other faiths. Mm -hmm. And in the song, of, now this is at the end of Moses's life, and he recites this song, it says in the Bible, word for word, and in it, God says, the Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. God wasn't angry with the heathens that didn't know him. He was upset with his sons and daughters. It goes on in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 19 and 20. God says, I will hide my face from them and see what their end will be. 
for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. And then to answer your question, it goes on in the Song of Moses, and it's not sounding good near the end of chapter 32. Now I'm in verse 39. God says, there is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasp it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. And it says, make his people rejoice, you nations, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies. And then here's the exact answer, Miss um, Carmen, to your question. God says he will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. And I say mm-hmm. that he's worthy to be praised because we are helpless. Left to our own, we will destroy each other in no time flat. And yet he made a way for us. He came himself and made atonement for us. And that atonement is Jesus Christ, that he um, stood in our place and bore the wrath that we were due for forsaking God, for being unfaithful to God. So this, you know, to get to know that atonement, to first believe an atonement, he made atonement for me. He um, produced a sacrifice, you know, for me, one that I could not, not conjure up or, or um, obtain by effort, but he actually made a way. We humble ourselves and accept that way and get to know our father and get to know the atonement and the benefits that flow from it. And it's amazing because God's mercy endures forever. His grace tolerates everything on one hand. On the other hand, his holiness can tolerate no sin, none. His holiness, I mean, we would all just drop dead in his presence had he not made the atonement that everyone on earth is enjoying the benefits of right now. Everyone on earth is invited um, to accept and get to know the atonement and our father who um, created that or sent that atonement for us. I appreciate your personal testimony, because I, I know it to be one that in in very unique ways is repeated in many lives um, yes. since 9-11 and in, in no small measure due to 9-11. Like there, there was a spiritual awakening that took place that was provided for um, by God following that event. And, and you're talking, you are, you're talking yeah. to the evidence. Yes. I'm sorry to finish. I'm talking, there, no, you know? I'm talking to the evidence. Like, right. That's right. That's right. And that and encouraged me because that encourages me because I'm, I've been quite discouraged in the last year and a half looking around, but to consider now, hold on a minute. God is going to bring good out of this. What the enemy is meant for evil. Some people are going to come out and love God. Like they've never loved them before. That's exactly right. And that's, you know, I'm so thankful for your willingness to talk with us and share your testimony, because it is not often we get to talk to the evidence, like, right? So we get to talk to the evidence today. That is such a blessing to be able to look back and grieve again. I mean, we can all return to the moment, to the hour, to the days that followed, to the experience as a nation. For those of us who then sent young men and women overseas into war related to the events of 9-11, and received them back with soul wounds, and some received them back in pine boxes. Yes. I, th- this, is a, this is a day and an experience as a nation that we genuinely can never and should never and will never forget, but we also don't live there. We as Christians recognize that God has 
taken what others meant for evil, and he has used it to his glory for good, and you are evidence of that. And just praise God, that was so well spoken. And when I think about, wait a minute, one soul or a hundred souls or a million souls, um, you know, rescued from eternal damnation, eternal isolation, eternal coldness, um, eternal darkness, um, it does make the suffering in a sense worth it. Although, you know, my heart goes out and my heart aches for those who perish, for those, I mean, there's people being raped. There's all kinds of horrible things going on. Um, it's just, again, though, to me, it glorifies the grace of God in that light being birthed through the darkness. Um, to me, it gives God glory. We have to honor him um, for his providence, you know, that he is in control of everything. And um, we might not be able to, to stop the attack, but we can trust the one who brings death and the one who brings life is in charge mm -hmm. and is working out um, things according to what he has said. We must hear his voice and follow him. Amen. Amen and amen. Robert Totman, what, um, what a gift to get to talk with you today. Thank you for the ways in which you served on that most inauspicious of days um, 20 years ago. Um, thank you for your ongoing testimony, and we look forward to um, your book and what God might yet do with that, Corridors in the Sky by Robert Totman. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Likewise. We'll be right back. So we led off the hour with a portion of the message from Billy Graham during the 9-11 remembrance event at the Washington National Cathedral 20 years ago. Um, I'd like to play one more portion of that conversation now. One of the things we desperately need is a spiritual renewal in this country. We need a spiritual revival in America. And God has told us in his word time after time that we're to repent of our sins and we're turned to him and he will bless us in a new way. And that's why each of us needs to face our own spiritual need and commit ourselves to God and His will now. Here in this majestic National Cathedral, we see all around us symbols of the cross. For the Christian, I'm speaking for the Christian now, the cross tells us that God understands our sin and our suffering. For He took upon Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, our sins and our suffering. And from the cross, God declares, I love you. I know the heartaches and the sorrows and the pains that you feel, but I love you. The story does not end with the cross. For Easter points us beyond the tragedy of the cross to the empty tomb. It tells us that there is hope for eternal life, for Christ has conquered evil and death and hell. Yes, there's hope. There is hope, and it is a hope that is sure and certain and unassailable, not subject to being brought down. Our hope is real and substantial and secure. 
Our hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever your um, 9-11 remembrances take you, let them take you to the foot of the cross and lead others to bow with you there. We need a spiritual renewal, a spiritual awakening in the United States of America. And each one of us needs to return to the foot of the cross today and acknowledge the sacrifice of the one made for all who would be redeemed. As we talk about sacrifice and as we talk about the challenges we face, let us do so from the foot of the cross. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.